0: Hello? Hi. Hi,
1: Debbie. How are you? Good. So now this is, um, what is it that you're publishing? Is it an article? Is it a...
0: No, it's a radio Radio? story. It's radio.
1: It's radio. Okay.
0: So we'll be on the radio together. Is that all right?
1: Okay. Oh, so it's live.
0: No, no, we're not live. I don't think I can pull off live, to be honest. I don't know. We'll, We'll have to, one day I'll have to try that. Can I introduce myself to you so you understand who you're talking to here? (laughs) Sure. That's a good idea. (laughs) I thought so. I bet you're like, wait, who are you and why are you calling me? (laughs) My name's Ambreen Khan. I'm the host of a public radio show called Inspired, and we explore beliefs that shape our world. And this week we're working on an episode about summer camps and... I had a great conversation with Radhika Amin, and she's just so full of enthusiasm and so interesting to hear how the camp really shaped the way she thinks about herself and her identity and her sense of responsibility to creating that experience for younger campers now. It it was an interesting conversation and one that just raised so many more questions for me. And when I asked her the history... She said it It started started way way before before my time. So when it first started, uh, the camp was very small. They slept in tents. um, And Devi Bharvati, who's our spiritual leader, actually brought the camp to Rochester. And she mentioned you. All right. Let me ask you the question. Okay. What and how did you come up with the idea for the Hindu Heritage Summer Camp? But before we get there, tell me your story. How did you come to be the spiritual advisor for this particular community? Yes,
1: so they're kind of intertwined. Um, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was very homogenous at the time. You know, hardly any Indian community or Muslim community or any other community besides Judeo-Christian, really. And um, so I was searching my whole life, really. I was brought up in a Jewish household that wasn't very Jewish. So there wasn't that kind of uh, deep spiritual experience in my family. But for me, it was definitely there. Sitting on the front porch of my house when I was, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, staring at the stars and having uh, spiritual experiences. As I went to school and went to college, I was taking courses in education, and also languages, because I've always felt like I was a world citizen, and it wasn't just living in one small location. I went to Spain uh, and studied abroad and ended up doing that for two years, uh, studying the philosophy with one of the teachers there in Madrid, and had an experience of being exposed to Hindu philosophy, or Vedic philosophy, through Spanish <laughs> through one of the authors and philosophers of the time, the generation of 98, they called him. His name was uh, Ortega Gasset, and he published books in Spanish about India. And I was just blown away. I said, I want more of this. I love this. This is really uh, is food for my soul. So when I came back, I started looking for uh, more spiritual experiences and more uh, information about this and was reading books on yoga and uh, philosophy. And I started taking yoga classes.
0: And when was this? Put us on the timetable.
1: This was the early, uh, the early 70s.
0: Ah, so this is the time when yoga started to really be brought to the United States and people were studying with the gurus who introduced Americans to yoga.
1: Yes, exactly. There weren't classes in the community. You had to go to a retreat center. You had to go to an ashram and immerse yourself into a yogic experience and take yoga that way. You know, there were just very few places where you could learn it. So I had an exposure to yoga uh, when I was teaching school and and I was uh, working in um, New Brunswick, New Jersey, teaching school in New Brunswick was a young fellow. And so he had a retreat going on. So if anyone wants to go, you can ride up with me. You can have a, you know, a nice long weekend experience. And I don't know what impelled me, but I said, yes. And so I went. And my feeling about it was like I had stepped on an escalator and the escalator was going up and up and up. And I had to follow it. There was no way of getting off the escalator. I just took one step at a time, one step at a time, the spirituality and and uh soul opening was happening and I just went with the flow because I knew it was the right thing to do. My intuition, my inner knowing said this is what I want, this is what I need. And So I went to this uh, this retreat center in Pennsylvania and totally fell in love with it. I felt like I walked out the door into a past life. It was, it felt so familiar to me like I had been there before, I had done these things it was just feeding my soul and I said wow, you know. So I started going up to this retreat center on long weekends and whenever, and by the time it got to summer, I said, I'm going up for the summer, and I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) I said, this is what I want. You know, this is what I want. I love teaching Spanish. It's wonderful, but this is feeding my soul. This I have to do. And so I gave up everything packed my belongings in my car and went to live in this little retreat center in Pennsylvania, in Strasburg, Pennsylvania.
0: How did you communicate with your family? How did your loved ones and, and your <laughs> relation like, how do they react to this? This is a Not big, well. Like,
1: <laughs> Not well. Oh. You know, it was like, actually, it was at the time when there was a lot of uh, stuff happening in the world about cults. So my family was really scared. They thought I just joined a cult and that it was... Uh, you know, going to take me somewhere they didn't want. And uh, they so they really uh, reacted poorly. And for a while there, I had to say to them, listen, um, if you're going to continually berate me and get me into this place, if you want me to leave, 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 I'm going to have to just cut off for a while from you. So f- for about a year, I didn't talk to them.
0: Oh, wow. So that must have been hard for everybody, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a difficult decision, but I did. And then gradually we reconnected and, you know, Uh, healed the relationship and all of that. But it it was a difficult decision for them and for me as well. And I ended up staying in this ashram retreat for 18
0: years. For 18 years. And so who was the leader of the ashram retreat?
1: So the leader of this ashram was a woman, Swami, a woman guru. And her name was Swami Lakshmi Devi. She was a resident of New York City. And her story was absolutely amazing. She had so many different um, abilities. And yet she was also a mother. She had a child. She had a relationship, her, her husband, uh, but her husband was very liberal with her so she could do whatever she wanted. And she, because she was having these visions of uh, a Swami from India who had passed on, his name was Swami Shivananda, who was very prolific in bringing yoga to the West. And there were several Swamis living in New York City that were his traditions. And so Swami Lakshmi decided she had to go. Check it out and she uh started going to one of the uh yoga centers, the Shivananda Yoga Center in, in uh downtown, I think it was, New York City. And she was having visions of this Swami who she'd never met, who had already um left his body. Uh and she shared this vision with the Swamiji's and they sort of went, What? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. I mean, so she she encounters them and she has these stories and these visions that she's sharing with them. And, and how do they respond to her?
1: Well, um, they weren't, Extremely happy about it, you know, because I think they were a little jealous, actually, from what I understand from the story. But um, you know, she continued to be a part of the going to that organization. She never took any big roles with that. But one of the visions that she had of Swami Shivananda told her to start her own place, to start a, a retreat center. And so she listened and followed this uh, this vision and intuition. And her husband actually. Helped her buy a little retreat center, and she built it up gradually uh, and started advertising in uh, New York Times and in other magazines. And this is the time of flower children, okay? This is the late 60s. Young people started coming from New York and from everywhere because they wanted to experience yoga, they wanted to experience a spiritual lifestyle, and move away from the uh, classical uh, religious backgrounds. And uh, so more and more people started coming. When I got there, it was 1973, I think, and I was 25. So I had had, uh, I don't know, five or six years of experience teaching school and living in the East Coast, and I was miserable. <laughs> I knew innately that there was something I was supposed to be doing. Mm.
0: So you were 25, and you stayed at the ashram for, it sounds like, 18 years. Am I getting that? Yes. In
1: 1976, after I'd been there for three years, uh, the Indian community started to grow. And so the family started to see these ads about this retreat in the Poconos. And uh, so they started coming to the retreat. We had a visiting Swamiji staying with us for six months or so that Swami Lakshmi had met and invited to come and do some classes and teach and everything. So the families were I- interested to meet him, and they'd come out and do these weekend programs. And so we started to really get connected to the what, what I call the the root of yoga. You know, yoga was taught in the West very much as a physical thing with some philosophy behind it. So when they came to our ashram, we were teaching the philosophy as well. So the Indian community came to learn with us. So one family came that had three daughters. They were from New Brunswick, I think. They had three daughters. They were from uh, in India from the south part of India. And they came for this weekend retreat. And the three daughters had such a great time participating in all the programs. They just follow along with everything that all of the, the people who were living in the ashram and the visitors were doing. One of them said, Can she stay? She wanted to stay And there was another week where there were two other young boys who also had come, their parents. And they decided to stay for a week. And she wanted to stay and continue to experience this uh, wonderful atmosphere. So her family let her stay. And after a week, her older sister came also. They went home. And the next year, through friends and people that they knew, 35 youngsters showed up. Wow. Wow. Viral marketing. Yeah, it it evolved organically. The Hindu Heritage Summer Camp organically evolved from these youngsters studying yoga, meditation, the Bhagavad Gita, the philosophy of India, and the wonderful communal environment that was there. We We were doing farming. We had some animals. It was just a beautiful environment, and they were participating in everything. After a couple of years, we had four sessions of two weeks sleep-away camp, and Hindu Heritage Summer Camp was going full, full force.
0: Wow. And
1: so the Swamis uh, and the uh, renunciates who were living in the ashram were teaching these classes and working with the children,
0: and it just
1: organically grew from there.
0: As we're talking, they're in their second wow. session.
1: Yes, and it's been 45 years for me, participating and working and forming and uh, uh, expanding the Hindu Heritage Summer Camp program. I wasn't the only one who began it, but I'm the only one that's left from the ashram experience who have uh, taken it on as my, my seva, my, my service. I love it. I love working with the children. I was a teacher, so it's like natural to me. I love to chant and worked with Sanskrit, so I was integral in developing the rituals and pujas uh, and teaching the Sanskrit and the philosophy classes.
0: I want to ask you if you wouldn't mind. I know that you teach the chanting, and could I could I implore you to do one? Sure.
1: Oh Guru Vasuvaha Tatsavitur Vare Enyam Bhargo Devasyadhimahi Dioyo Nafpra Jodayat
0: That was beautiful Thank you so much Did you ever get any criticism or pushback from the
1: community? Yeah, from some people in the communities I have had, uh, you know, some people say, who are you to do this, you know? But the minute I start to talk to them and I talk about past lives, I mean, for me, this is a total past life experience brought forward into this lifetime. And they understand that. So it's mostly the very radical, closed-minded group of people. There are some sects in Hinduism that that's all there is. There is nothing else but the way I believe. And they're fine to believe that way. But mostly my experience has been very positive. And families would bring their children and go, man, I don't, I don't know how you can do this. I mean, it's just amazing. Here you are brought up in this country and yet you know more than I have ever learned about Hinduism. How is that possible? If I'm dressed in Indian garb and I'm walking down the street, sometimes people in in this country will (laughs) give me a a look and going, what is that? (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) It doesn't bother me at all.
0: When you look back on your camp experience, has it evolved the way that you envisioned it would? Um, Okay, what I'm going to say is I feel like
1: I'm a bridge between East and West. I'm American-born. I am completely white. (laughs) and i started working with the indian community you know when i was 25 26 years old and at the time the the community was very small and there was a lot of prejudice and a lot of issues within the community kids would come to camp and they were the only indian family in their entire town yeah you know and so they're trying to explain to their classmates what it is to be hindu and they can't right we had children we had children that said that they were spanish and the families would come here India and they'd work here and they'd raise their children, but they had no idea about how to raise their kids because they were so Western-oriented towards learning to be doctors and lawyers and coming and studying at the universities here that they left all the traditional knowledge of their past, a lot of them did, and didn't know anything about their heritage. So these children are growing up asking their parents, Why do you do this? Why is it that? What is the meaning of who's Krishna? What is going on? And they're asking these parents all these questions, and they had no answers. So they looked around to find a camp, and they found us. And so for us, it was a a wonderful experience of answering these questions for these youngsters and giving them a sense of belonging and a sense of understanding their roots and their heritage. Now we're in the third generation of camp, and the parents who were campers are now bringing their children to camp, and it's as fulfilling as it ever was. It's evolving. I mean, education is different today. The kids' likes are different today, but they still need a connection to their roots, Hmm. and so when I see young people like Radhika Uh, and the, the directors of camp who've been coming to camp for 10 years, learning and growing and you know, absorbing their, their heritage. When I see them taking on the responsibilities of being directors and being the role models for their younger campers, it's beautiful. And it doesn't stop with camp. I'm hoping that all these youngsters who come through our programs go out there and become leaders that can bridge the gap and start to uh, unify the world today, because we need it so badly. And I think that they have a presence of mind, they have a vision, a world vision, a vision of inclusivity that we so badly need right now.
0: How do you identify yourself, your spiritual identity? Big question.
1: (laughs) So for me, the reason that I love this tradition so much, and I say Hindu loosely, because that's really not the term, that uh, was the original term for this tradition. But for me, anyway, this is such an open-ended tradition. It is a philosophy that has evolved over thousands and thousands of years. It is totally inclusive. You can be any religion and be part of And understand and enjoy this tradition. It is not closed at all. There was no beginning. It wasn't like one person founded this religion. It was a a way of life that has evolved, and the spirituality has come from sages and uh, renunciates living in the forest, meditating, and having these truths come to them, which they in turn taught to their students. And passed on from word of mouth for thousands of years until finally it was begun to be written down. And it has evolved over time. I mean, I feel like I am Hindu, but I'm all religions because it is so open in it and says that God is everywhere. God is form and formless. Everything in the universe is this God, everything. And so physics and religion come together in Hinduism the understanding that God is everywhere and in everything. I can be a Christian and be part of this. I can be Jewish and be part of this. And I am. I feel like I'm all religions because reality is it's not a religion. It is a spiritual transcendent experience that all people can arrive at if they're open-minded and they move into the what we call the spiritual or the mystical understandings of their religion. Mm. And so I'm a mystic. I'm not just Hindu, I'm a mystic. And for me, part of the experience that I have is also a connection with the goddess. Because God is not just male. God is male-female. We're all male-female. We all have within us this understanding of what it is to be a male, what it is to be female. And so in Indian tradition also, the goddess is a huge tradition there. They have always recognized the divinity of the Divine Mother. And so I connect very much with that. So that's part of my belief. Mm. But you can be Hindu and not have that belief. The thing is, you can believe so many different things within Hinduism and still call yourself Hindu.
0: Right, right.
1: And I love that.
0: Before we go, tell us about your name. I didn't choose it. Um,
1: There's two parts to it. When I lived in the ashram and Swami Lakshmi Devi, one of the things that she did, which was very unique in terms of a yoga ashram, was because of her tradition with Swami Shivananda, he believed that anyone who wanted to take sannyas, to take renunciation, should do so. And so she would, when students were studying with her at a certain point, she would give them a spiritual name and or even a title, which at that point we were calling ourselves Swami, which means renunciate or like a monk or nun in our tradition. So for a long time my name was Swami Parvati Bedi Ashram, which was a spiritual monastic name. And uh one of the Gurus that we had connected with in India and were working with even with developing the camp because he totally gave blessings for the camp and what we're doing, when our that particular uh, guruji died, uh his his disciple took over and his disciple was pretty much uh, you know, Uh, Sanskrit scholar and very analytical and not as mystical as and spiritually oriented and he, on one of the visits to India that I had, he said "Um, you know, a lot of people are asking me what is this about a woman swami we don't have women swamis in our order, can I call you something else and I said sure, he said I'll call you Devi Parvati (laughs) so the Devi part means goddess but it's also, it means goddess of light And uh, Parvati was given to me by Swami Lakshmi. She would go into meditation and decide what the spiritual underpinnings of this person is and how it would help her and also give to the world an understanding of who she is just through the name. So she named me Parvati, which is the name of the goddess, who is the mother goddess, who brings harmony in the midst of diversity and then in the midst of uh, chaos. So I am Devi Parvati. So I am the bringer of light and harmony in the midst of chaos.
0: Radhika Amin is a rising senior at Case Western University in Ohio. She led the first session of the Hindu Heritage Summer Camp in Rochester, New York. Devi Parvati is the spiritual director and an early founder of the Hindu Heritage Summer Camp. She lives on Vancouver Island in the Canadian province of British Columbia. Much has changed since 1968 when Swami Lakshmi Devi purchased 38 acres in the Poconos to open the Sivananda Yoga Camp and Ashram in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Today, there are a number of supplementary education programs and day camps offering Hindu education. Coming up, Dr. Shana Sippy offers context and insights on the growth of Hindu religious education. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be right back after this short break.